Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 21 of Tiger Pops. And today we have Rihanna and Sarah. So I'll let these ladies introduce themselves. Um, I'm Brianna. I'm 29. I'm a massage therapist in Indiana. And I have a seven-year-old daughter. And I am married. And I have... <laughs> Five dogs and three cats, like you guys just heard. <laughs> so I think that's a pretty good summary. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Oh, sorry, not Sarah. Sorry. Thanks, Brianna. <laughs> so, hey, it's Sarah. Um, Sarah Mack. Um, I'm one of the kooky people in the Fast Pass and regular groups who often just leave GIF responses to people. Um, mostly whenever people blow my mind. Um, that's what I do is I, I'm just kind of weird like that. Um, I'm married to my poor husband who's been with me for far too long. I genuinely feel sorry for him. And, um, as a result of that marriage, we, um, we have a four year old child who is a hundred percent mine, which is why I'm convinced that my husband will probably not be living that much longer due to stress. Um, <laughs> it's pretty sad. I, I, it's been a running joke for a long time that I didn't imagine my husband would live to see my son turn five if the kid turned out like me at all and so far I feel like that may be a prophecy that could come to fruition I'm a little sad about it but he knew what he was getting into when he asked so there's that um (laughs) I don't know what else to say I've just embarrassed myself again the usual you've just presented a very unusual and interesting situation that's all and you know the podcast will be going on for a while so next time we have you on we'll see if your son is five and how your husband is faring (laughs) <laughs> I mean, he's getting especially like stressed out here lately because the kid's four and he has four going on like 20 and my husband's just not prepared for a four year old to use like 20 year old language. Like his vocabulary is amazing, um, particularly when he's yelling at my husband, calling him a curmudgeon. Wow. Um, my husband doesn't know how to process that. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Is that a word you taught him as an English professor? Uh, yeah, he was being especially like ornery at dinner one night. Um, and I said, listen, you have got to stop being a curmudgeon, get it together and just start eating dinner. And as a result of that, like the next day, um, my husband was being, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. I wasn't in the room. I just walked in. Um, so I can't give you the context, but I just heard my little teeny tiny son's voice. Daddy, you're being a curmudgeon. I need you to stop. And my husband just stopped where he was and looked at me and I was like, it could be worse. Like I could have taught him other words. Like, that's fine. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. You're precocious son. Let us get into the episode. <laughs> so uh, just a quick recap of what last episode, the last episode, Poppy and Tora have gone out on their date analysis and Tora storms out. Poppy accuses him of being a good person and he, you know, reacts terribly to this. How dare you? And, you know, he's in the car driving and he's like, oh, shoot, I like her. Pretty much that's what we infer, at least. 
And this episode starts out where Poppy is back at the office. And we'll find out in a bit that it's two days after her date with Tora. And she's talking to Gil on the phone. And she's like, okay, that, you know, she, she's been updating him about work. And then she says, oh, you're coming back next Monday? And it's like, oh, nothing's wrong. Can't wait till you get back, Gil. So she seems a bit nervous that he's coming back. It looks like, you know, she's nervous about the proposal because she's like, oh, it's going well. Great, I'll see you when you get back. AKA, it's not going well. And she's really nervous about that because she immediately calls Secretary Audrey. And, you know, she's trying to get in touch with Mr. Lamb. But then she hears that Mr. Lamb is out golfing. And, you know, she's trying to keep talking to her, but Secretary Orsby hangs up on her. Yeah, that that interaction between her and Secretary Audrey, I I feel sorry for Poppy. Like, I get it that she's trying to be, um, like, a go-getter, and she's really trying to make this at least work networking-wise. But it's still kind of, it's a little cringe that she's, you know, kind of, like, rebuffed that way by the secretary. You know, like, she's really trying to be nice. It's me. It's Poppy again. Um, We talked yesterday. Um, I'm really trying to make this work with Mr. Lamb because we all know that he left her early. You know, like, he didn't even follow through with um, their business meeting, obviously, because, you know, Scarch and, you know, Claude and all the whole bunch were just really eager to get this guy away from her. But it still kind of feels like an interesting rebuff, I think, for poor Poppy, where she's like, I'm really trying here on my own. And now we know that she's going to have to rely on other people to help her get this meeting to actually take place. Hmm. Right. And, you know, she's upset. She feels rejected by, you know, she's like rejected by a secretary again. And while she's being annoyed, already distressed about this, um, Jacob finds out, Jacob walks by and he's like, oh, well, you know, the fact that you can't meet Miss Mr. Lamb, that means you have time to help me out with the rest of the reports today. And he says that, you know, Gil wants him and he gets back, but he's heading off early to catch a big match. So he's going to be, um, you know, reporting on a big match happening. And he hands Poppy this huge stack of loose leaves. And Poppy looks at him like deadpan. She's like, this is a special place in hell for people like you, Jacob. <laughs> I just love that she said that. It's surprising that she has enough like jackfruit (laughs) to tell him basically that he's being an a-hole for giving her all this work but not enough to just be like uh no right she's definitely a glutton for punishment in terms of work she seems to like work very much and you know we've we've said before that she seems to use work as a way of avoiding thinking about her life and processing emotional issues so she just like buries herself in work and this way she's always busy and doesn't have to think I think it also gives us an indication of like who she is outside of just work. You know what I mean? Like she, even though she doesn't want to do this thing for Jacob, you know, where she's pretty much saying like, there's a special place in hell for you, Jacob. Um, Like he gets to have a life and she's willing to take on extra. So that way, you know, he gets to enjoy things and she doesn't, again, she's using it almost like a coping mechanism or an escape. But I, I think it also gives us an indication of like her overall character you know what I mean? Like, it may be something that she'll begrudgingly do, but she'll gladly go to task for other people within her circle. You know what I mean? Yeah, she's a, a giving person. And by the way, when I first read this, I also thought that Jacob was just going to uh, to the match for his pleasure. But we do find out later he is doing it um, for work because he's reporting on it. So, oh, okay. That's oh. right. That's right. Yeah, so Jacob's not quite that oh. bad. <laughs> 
Although he does say that he was a douche in the next panel. He's like, that was a pretty douchey thing to say. Um, it does feel like, you know, he just kind of dropped it on her because she just happened to be there at that time. Right. You know? Yeah. And then he does. Right. And he says, you know, afterwards, something supportive. And he's like, you got this. So, you know, a lot of people like right away were like, Jacob, how dare you? Because he, the first thing he said was like, talked about Poppy's weight. And you know, ever since then, it's like everyone has a grudge against Jacob. But Jacob's a, a nice guy, you know, like he's, he's funny. He's like, he kind of jokes around with like being, a, you know, like a teasing kind of person, but he is a nice guy in the end. Also, I want you guys to pay, that, pay attention to his t-shirt pattern. It does come up. Yeah. <laughs> what a fun little like, um, Easter egg there. Yes. I'm sexy and I know it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's cute. He is cute. And I think he's one of those like people who's just like um like incredibly socially awkward, you know, like here's the girls I'm I'm guessing talking about weight and talking about like healthier lifestyles or whatever. So he's trying to get involved in that because it seems like he's the odd man out, right? He's surrounded by um Dean and and Poppy and Gil up until this point we haven't met yet. So it just seems like there's like this this trinity, if you will, and he's kind of trying to fit in with the two of them. Like they've obviously got a rapport that he's trying to get into. Um, but I think he just speaks and then doesn't quite realize how it's gonna come out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's one of those where it's like, Oh, you poor thing, like you're you're good you're trying though. A plus you just don't talk about women's weights like ever. Um even the way that he interacts with Dean later on in this episode is pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that social awkward is a good way of putting it. <laughs> and, you know, Poppy does appreciate his um, his affirmation. You know, she looks back at him. She says, thanks. And and then he, he does say, you know, he's like at the end of the day, he's like, well, you still got to help me because I got a lot to finish. And then and then he's like, again, back to being socially awkward. He's like, besides, it's not like you ever have plans on a Friday night. <laughs> So we know what day of the week it is. It's Friday, <laughs> which is you know, I, yeah. her social life or lack thereof. Yeah, it definitely it it does. It reminds me of like just someone that you see who has never been around people. You know what I mean? Like you, like there. He said the quiet part out loud, right? <laughs> you don't say that, even if the person is a complete introvert. Like you don't call introverts out on being introverted. Like you respect that space, you know. And I just like how she's like, "Go crawl back into that hole, dude." Like, what are you doing, Brianna? What do you her, think of? Well, her facial expressions definitely. She's like irritated. Um, he. I, I I definitely agree that he's like super like awkward, but he I I I I can't explain it like how he's not trying to be a douche, but at the same time he's like he's like I need help, so please help me. You know what I mean? So it's almost like he has this goal of getting her to help him, and so he has to like backtrack and butter her up like. I know this is important. Like you're doing a great job and then be like, okay, like I submitted my niceness points. <laughs> like, so now you have to help me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Poppy's like, again, with her response, like for both her and her Dean are comfortable with, um, you know, giving it back to Jacob as well, you know, with this banter that they have in, in their office. She's like, please just go back to the hole you crawled out of. Right. I mean, if she were saying it seriously, it would be pretty offensive, but they're both joking around with each other. Right. Well, and it seems like 
they have a it's a weird work dynamic because obviously it looks like it's just the three of them that work there it with gil but they don't the fact that he says it's not like you ever have plans on a friday night anyways makes me think that they don't the three of them don't hang out like i have friends at work that i'm really close with i talk to all the time but we don't hang out outside of work and then i have other work friends that i actually become friends with outside of work um but it doesn't look like they hang out but obviously she trusts him enough to ask him for you know different favors and stuff um and so it's an interesting dynamic that you know right that they don't seem like they're they're they don't seem like they're bffs but she trusts them enough to like She's asked him for a couple, like, pretty decent favors. Mm-hmm. Or she yeah. will, I guess. Right, exactly. I know that that favor that she asks later is pretty personal and, like, shows the trust. I, re- I agree with you. But we'll get well, to that. Well, and also, doesn't that also indicate that he doesn't have a life either? You know what I mean? Because he's the one who took the call, you know what I mean, for that favor. Of all the people that she asked, like, he he's obviously available to help her out when she needs. Um, I something about the way that he says it's not like you ever have plans on a Friday night anyway it makes me feel like that maybe is more of a commiseration between the two of them like he also seems like he may be a homebody beyond his professional obligations so maybe that's something that they just kind of all joked around because we all know that Erdine is going to be the social butterfly of the group Mm -hmm. you know she's made that clear that she's doing those things um it just kind of feels like maybe the two of them have joked and had a good time about how neither one of them have plans and none of them seem to go out. You know what I mean? I wonder if this is going to turn into like a low key, like Jacob has a crush on her. I don't get that impression. I mean, I could maybe see that because the way that like his body language in that panel where she's like, go back to the hole that you crawled out of. It's very interesting. Like he's very um, he he's like putting his body into himself. His hands are in his pockets, which could be a sign of like nervousness, but also hiding. Right. And the way that his eyes are closed, um, the way that he makes these sad faces with her. Um, it just feels like I could see where you're coming from, Brianna, that maybe he's trying to engage with her outside of a professional capacity. Um, like, but he doesn't know how to get past that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Interesting. I can see it. And he's trying to like bond with her by being kind of funny, but then it just ends up like he says the joke and he's like, Oh, that was not funny. <laughs> That came out differently than it was in my head. Like I can see that, like a, a person who doesn't have a whole lot of experience, um, perhaps with chatting it up with people that they're interested in romantically. I mean, I I don't necessarily think that he has a crush on her, but I can see why you think that. Yeah, we'll find out if he does, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I just don't see it being like. Besides Fred, I don't see it from his behavior. Um, I also don't see that Lily would put that in because I feel like it's redundant and would detract from the plot. Like, if mm-hmm. maybe, you know, I, I know the the webtoons description originally said Quincy would be involved in a love triangle, which it seems she's moved away from. But um, that maybe would have more purpose to the plot and like provide more conflict and you know tension. But for Jacob, I just don't see him. I, I wouldn't see any dramatic purpose for him to be interested in Poppy. Mm-hmm. It could be so. Well, I, I feel like it's not so much that it. It could just be that he's been friend zoned. I hate that term. You know what I mean? But maybe that's how their relationship started. 
You know what I mean? Like, obviously, she she joined the company, but maybe there was a romantic interest that he has squashed on his own, mm. like an unpursued. Um, I, I can see that a little bit, based on, especially since, um, although you would think that it would be her and Ardeen have a really close relationship, the person that she's constantly asking for favors and who's making himself available for these favors is Jacob. So I can kind of see... Um, maybe if that friend zone angle was there. Um, I don't think Poppy would be aware, and I don't necessarily think it's ever going to come up um, mm-hmm. to be an actual thing, but maybe that could be a driving force for Jacob. I don't know. That that does make more sense to me. I, I do see that. Um, like, maybe he was just charmed by her at first, and then he didn't know how to take it, you know, to, like, a, a level outside of that. Right. Yeah. I think Jacob's also kind of like a beta kind of male and, you know, the kind of guy who is bossed around by women and Whistley later, he's definitely bossed around by Poppy and Erdine. And I think he's, yeah. used to, he's used to being in that role where he's the helper and like the, the, the geeky sidekick and, you know, who's, who's bossed around. Yeah, I can see that. Anywho, so Poppy at this point, um, she's moving, she's receiving the fold, the loose leaves from Jacob and she sees her phone. And then she thinks how, you know, it's been two days and he hasn't contacted me since, right? She's looking at a blank phone and she's like, well, I guess he changed his mind about helping her with Mr. Lamb. And Mr. Lamb and his secretary have been avoiding me as well. I mean, she literally, sorry, changed his mind about dinner because the last thing she texted him was about um, meeting for dinner, which is what he, he wanted of her. He wanted to have dinner at her place. And we know he wanted to have dinner at her place to look for the notebook. But anyway, so he didn't answer her. And then she's, you know, mulling sadly to herself. Mr. Lamb and his secretary have also been avoiding me. She literally hung up on me. And she's really distressed about this. You know, she's like, I can take a hint, but darn it, is this really all I can do? She's taking it to heart. She feels bad about herself as a, as a worker, as, you know, um, just as a person. And she's smart enough to realize, like, she's not stupid. She doesn't want to decide what's happening. Like, she says, I can take a hint. And she admits that they're avoiding her. But she still feels bad about it. Yeah, and I think that's really telling the the next panel where it's like on the bright side I get to knock off on time because she does that a lot. Like this introspection that she does and this um this way in which she chooses to handle these conflicts that she keeps running into is she could dwell on the negative, right? Like I mean she literally hung up on me. She can talk about being rejected and feeling in that place and never getting past it, but then she always goes to find the silver lining in the cloud you know what i mean and i think it's just a reinforcement of the way in which that we're supposed to see her as a character overall like she's feeling the same things that we do she's experiencing um similar strife and conflicts that we do that are really harsh i mean we find out later some more of her backstory you know what's all going on with her childhood and her life and that's enough to like cripple a person emotionally psychologically physically um, but yet we always see her like overcoming and surpassing it. Like she's a Phoenix, if you will. Um, she's always rising above whatever ashes of her life are there. Um, and I feel like that, that whole little scene is also giving us an indication that she's using it as a catalyst, this rejection, um, this being rebuffed by this business deal. Like she's using it as a means to like, is that really all I can do? Like she's still focusing on ways in which she can try and make this thing happen rather than just getting stuck and stagnant, you know? I really like that. I, I think that you're 100% right. And that is, you know, something that um, is a contrast with Torah, I think, because Torah, the way he has absorbed his background is he's internalized it. And he hates himself. Oh, it's so sad for me to say that, but he does. 
and he is very pessimistic and he doesn't believe that that there's hope in the future and you're right poppy does the opposite she just manages to move on and and be positive I wonder, too, not that I'm going to say that I don't agree that he's pessimistic. I almost feel like he's at the place where he's cynical. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's still because the, we have it in later scenes, but the way that he, his introspection is with her and the way that he's kind of coveting the way that she looks at life. I feel like he hasn't gone full blown pessimist yet. I feel <laughs> like he's more cynical and he's he can easily get like he's definitely jaded right but i don't think it's gotten to the point where he can't try and do what poppy's doing does it make sense yeah i agree mm-hmm. it's funny that for for you the word like pessimist i guess is more serious and cynical whereas for me it's reversed to me cynical is a little more intense but that's just i guess a, a you know personal thing but um i like no i mean like that's kind of the way i see it like i i'm agreeing with you like they're the two of them are definitely contrasts right like she i don't want to say that she's pragmatist but she she, the optimism she doesn't um let the negative stuff bring her down right she tries to find like the way out of the tunnel um whereas him like he focuses and it seems like he's very comfortable in the tunnel right (laughs) that everything has made him this way um he still pushes through he still figures out ways to overcome them but he never gets out of the tunnel like he likes to just kind of linger as he talks about you know the shadows we always have that contrast between her being in the light and him being in the shadows we had that at the date when he was walking up to Alice's and then this little tidbit here where it's like I can still go knock off at least while it's still light outside too that's another reinforcement of how she's being connected with the stuff that happens like outside of the tunnel you know what I mean it's a literary choice I think is what I was trying to get at because mm-hmm. everything's always like light when it in relation to her yeah I, I kind of see like how Tora's attitude is like we were talking about the military um I think that's how you kind of get when you've been in the military for a while where every day is just like, ugh, like what fresh hell awaits me today. But then you turn around and you'll reenlist. <laughs> so it's right. like, like I tell people that all the time. I'm like, that when they're, they're like, what's it like to be in the military? And I'm like, well, it sucks every day, but it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what I choose, right? <laughs> it's the chaos that I, I've chosen. So I'm just going to roll with it. And so obviously Tori doesn't necessarily enjoy it and he didn't necessarily choose it. But I like, I don't like, like when we were talking about the difference, like in how we see the word cynical, like that's just kind of how I see Tori It's not necessarily cynical, but just like, like, I know how this is going to, like, I know that there's just going to be some, some BS today and I'm like prepared for it. Yeah. Right. And then if something nice happens that I'm pleasantly surprised, <laughs> like, Oh, we're not going to run today. Like, Yes. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely not stoic, right? Like, he has emotional outbursts. Like, dude is not, has not hardened himself quite that way yet, right? Whereas, like, Poppy, um, if anything, the irony is, like, Poppy is perhaps the most stoic between the two of them. Like, she keeps encountering all these bad things, and yet she figures out the way from in herself to overcome them and still, like, drive towards whatever it is that her goal or her objective is. So she's, and I think that's, that becomes a little bit more telling too, as we see her later, like she's very good at mitigating all the external factors mm-hmm. 
um, that could bring her down. Like even in the next episodes that follow this one, like we see that there's a whole bunch of external stimuli that could totally browbeat her and bring her down and make her crumble. And yet she is stone. She is full on stoic because she's letting everything um, outside just bounce off. We know that she internalizes and she discusses these things, but she doesn't ever let it detract her. You know what I mean? Which you would assume that would be Torah. Yeah, she has a big time internal monologue. And she's almost like a computer. Like she takes in the information and she processes it. And then she sorts it all into like the relevant areas. (laughs) And she's like, I think even sometimes Lily doesn't show us her thought process so then she comes up with something and you're like are you serious like like i did not was not prepared for her to say that but it's because she's like she is that intro like she doesn't come across as an introvert but she has that quality that introverts have where they just sit back and they they watch everybody else doing what they're doing and then they come up with like this massive like oh like not a thesis but you know what i mean like they've they've completely taken in all the information and just come out with their observations and their analysis of it. Yeah. We're definitely going to see that in the set, like in this episode. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And one thing, you know, we're talking about like Torah being, being in the tunnel and being um, more cynical. So something that I noticed, um, what I was, that I was impressed by Torah is that I feel like if I were Torah, I would just be crying all day or (laughs) throwing these big fights or dramatic. And Torah is, um, he seems to he seems to have accepted a lot of his life, which you know, what good or bad. But I think it, in in the level, it's emotionally healthy because he knows he can't change it, so he's just going to have to live with it and accept it. And I think acceptance is a really healthy thing for many people. Um, now, one, one thing that's so interesting is like relating to my life. So I grew up with a very had a very positive upbringing, and my husband had a very pretty negative upbringing. And um, I noticed that he deals with. Um, adversity a lot better than me because he's used to it and he kind of expects things to go badly and whereas I I get very depressed and mopey and I can't function and I realize like he's been low level depressed his whole life pretty much so he's just like oh yeah another bad thing I don't whatever same thing (laughs) so I feel like Torah has that you know he's just used to things going badly and he's just that's my life that's how it is and he's more accepting and reserved and doesn't get so emotional about it what is the saying? Um, smooth seas never made strong sailors, right? So I feel like that's I feel like that's important. You know what I mean? Like, so if you don't face a whole lot of hardship, whenever you find hardship, it kind of is like one of those defining moments for a person, especially if it's like your first time. You know, and the irony is like we assume that it's Poppy who's going to be the one that's going to struggle the most, and it's it's really not. It's both of them have had really, really hard experiences. We don't even know all of Poppy's like story, right? Mm-hmm. But you would think that with her being as positive as she is, she'd be one of those people who crumbles almost immediately, right? So kind of like what you're talking about, the contrast between you and your husband, like the way that you guys handle these conflicts um, differ and it could be from your nature versus nurture situation. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so I think we've done a, quite a good analysis of Puppy and Tora. And now <laughs> we have Erdine rushing in saying, oh my God, guys, guess what? You know, Puppy's turning and Erdine comes in <laughs> with these fabulous bags and, you know, great outfit. <laughs> and she's like, that famous novelist Cuban Yoko just split with his publisher. But, um, and we obviously know who that is. That's Quincy. 
And this is like big news, right? Apparently he's famous. And, you know, she says, apparently the publishing firm he'd worked for had been plagiarizing his work. And today the CEO just filed for bankruptcy. The profits were distributing among a few of his employees, millions of dollars. It's interesting, right? So we know that, you know, um, Quincy threatened Mr. Morrison when he left. So, it, you know, whatever follow-up there was, we don't know exactly. He threatened him with his warehouses and his house. We don't know exactly what follow-up happened, but whatever it is, it made the CEO file for bankruptcy. And, you know, they all think it's strange. Poppy's like filing for bankruptcy in just two days without a lawsuit being fought because it is strange. <laughs> I almost, I also want to point out like the, right at the same time, this, this um, bit of plot development is happening. So this exposition's happening with this story, right? At the same time, Poppy's sitting there in the background with her coffee and it, you just see buzz, buzz. So you're getting a reconnection between her and Tori, like the whole dots thing like all the dots need to be connected that we got from episode one like we're hearing this thing how poppy is like encountered um via proxy like the bodyguard for this person right we know that as the audience and we're super excited like we, we all know this we're like oh we know who this person is we just saw a whole bunch of episodes where this fight took place right and meanwhile, Poppy's like completely disconnected from it. Just kidding. Her phone buzzes. And now she's getting into that particular plot line, which I find is like an interesting little fun fact because Poppy's in the background. And yet the irony is like she's about to become in the foreground of that particular plot development. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I also and- thought. Was- oh, sorry. Go ahead. I thought it was interesting this piece about the profits were distributed among a few of his employees. I feel like that's probably a bribe. Yeah. For those, those guys that were in there. Interesting. I actually wondered, I thought just now maybe Quincy, that was a condition where he's like, you know, Mr. Morrison, you were just a jerk to us. You have to distribute it among your employees. Oh, it's very shady, especially since he's like he's the one that's filing for bankruptcy. So the way that bankruptcy would normally work is like no profits are going to be distributed because everything all the accounts get frozen. Right. Um, So I find it interesting that profits of the stolen manuscript are being distributed to the employees. It does kind of feel a little shady. I can see that, Brianna. Yeah, I think I think it's. You know, it it will be super interesting to see, like, you know. And I like how then when they say, like, when Poppy kind of, like, does the same thing that she just did, where when she's saying, like, oh, Jacob, he's loading all this work to me, and then she turns, and then she's, like, wallowing in the fact that she can't get a hold of Lister Lamb, and then she turns right around, and she's like, well, at least I get to leave early. And then she does that same thing right here, where she's having the, the little, like, Oh, that's so weird. They're filing for bankruptcy in just two days without a, a lawsuit. And then she turns around and be like, I know, but who cares? That's one less competitor. And so, oh, wait, actually. Yeah, I don't think. I was wondering not if that. Yeah, I was wondering if that was from um, Dean and Jacob, those two, because the bubbles weren't necessarily connected to her. Yeah, I think so. I think she's just busy with her phone and she's emotionally enraptured mm-hmm. by that. Yeah. Like she's just passively listening. Especially with her face, because then when she she comes out out of like I found him, like you can tell immediately, like she wasn't really part of the conversation, yeah. and that's why their reaction is like, "You did what now? Excuse me." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the there there by the way, yes, I think I think it's Jacob and her team because then they continue with like, yeah, one less competitor, and now they're happy about it because they want him to work with them, 
right? If there's even a chance to get him to work with us, well, we put on a map instantly. Like this is good for them, right? We know that he's famous enough that if they work with him, they'll be more, you know, significant as a publishing house. And then, of course, Urgene is just being her Urgene self. She's like, he doesn't make public appearances, but I heard he's a total hunk. <laughs> Which is funny because, you know, we see later where that that little remark is going to come in a little bit later. Where instead of it being total hunk, it's something else. And we're just kind of like, but you, you how do you have these sources, Dean? How do you know he's a total hunk? I need to know. <laughs> right. And then, you know, Jacob gives us a clue about what, goldfish is because he's like we're just a, a little speck here and there in city right they're not significant yeah this this whole little bit where it's coming into the story it, there's a lot happening within the plot um and where the plot lines were going so where you feel like one's ending you're now finding out there's a new one which is going to be the driving force the deus ex machina right that's going to lead poppy onto her next um, adventure through mm-hmm. Naren City. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those where I find it interesting because you're going to see again how the dots are going to line up. But this this cluelessness of Poppy where she's just passively listening and then she just jumps in um, and says that she found them. And then, of course, they're thinking that she's talking about QB. And the irony is, as we find out later, like, yeah, she did find them. Mm-hmm. She really, truly did. <laughs> she wasn't lying. She was just ahead of the game. Um, but this whole scene where her supercomputer processor brain kicks in, I really, something about the scene like just hit me when I read it and I totally loved it um, because I feel like that's something that people do to Poppy a lot. And I think Tora does it too, where they discount her. Um, we know for a fact that Tora reflects later that he's like over um, overlooked mm-hmm. Poppy and her skills. Um, but I feel like everyone that comes in contact with Poppy has been doing that for a considerable amount of time. Um, and even Dean talks about it. We see that later where she's like, is that how you are? Is that what you do? You just play dumb. She's like, you kind of have to. Right. Um, and I feel like this moment is another reinforcement of we as the audience can't be doing that either. Like we can't be over overlooking her and we can't be trying to put her into the boxes that Tora was so fearful of. And I think it's because she doesn't belong in any of them. Like she's an adversary on her own. Like she's a protagonist for a reason. Absolutely. Yeah. So when this Sorry. <laughs> this whole conversation that they have with our Dean is really interesting because again, like Lily never says anything for no reason. So I think the fact that there's what, like seven bu- just, uh, dialogue bubbles about our Dean's dad. Mm-hmm. I feel like that means something. Yeah. Even his business contacts have no idea where Mr. Lamb is. And of course, you know, Jacob has kind of a, a snide remark. I was like, isn't he the personal assistant for the CEO of a huge corporation? Yeah, that that's one of those where I've been sitting here for a long time trying to get more of Dean's backstory because that seems fishy. Mm-hmm. Right. And then and then she's like, he is he has a wide network of contacts. And most are happy to dish out info in exchange for little favors. I'm like, yeah, that's mafia. <laughs> yeah, because we're getting that reinforcement, right? Like Poppy's whole like explanation of things is like, what favor do you want now? Like that's just become her regular response when people are like, I'll help you, but it'll cost you. And she's like, what do you want now? Like she's just been so indoctrinated by this nefarious lifestyle that she's been like thrown into. Um, whether it be her work colleagues, because we know that Jacob always does stuff for a price. Um, and we know that Dean um, also has one moment, too, where she's, you know, expecting a favor. And then, of course, Tora and his favors. Mm-hmm. And she said, I think she says, 
every yeah yeah everything comes with a price i think she says that at least i think she said it at least twice yeah or Right. And we see here, by the way, the, the, well, their, by their reaction to the picture that she got of Mr. Lamb, they're very impressed, you know, and he, what Tora did was impressive, right? So he got a shot of him facing the camera. They're like, you know, even Erdine's dad couldn't do it. He's very old and discreet. And um, they're like, did you hire a, a private investigator? Right. They're, they're very impressed. And she's like, no, I just got a little help from someone, you know, sweating. So, you know, Tora's skilled at what he does, right? Yeah. Not surprised. Also, I'd like to point out the irony of where it's like the old dude is very private and discreet. No, yeah. he's not. I know. That's how he got picked up at Chevy's. <laughs> like, he's not He's not private or discreet at all. He's braggadocious. And he got in trouble for it. And almost, well, whatever. He gets in trouble for it. I honestly also did not understand his, his sense of self of safety. I was like, what is wrong with you, dude? You're not five. Like, you know, just go off. Yeah. Yeah. I like I, I think it's supposed to help us understand that he's new money, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Even though his wife had this fortune or whatever, this is the first time that he's really had to encounter like that dark side of having money, which mm-hmm. made just made me feel like he's that's that contrast of old versus new money. Um it's it's interesting cuz then this whole experience we know later he ends up, you know, actually learning some things, but man, it did it come at a price. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that is true. Because if he would have been had money for a long time, he wouldn't be acting this naive. Well, and maybe it's like we we don't really know what his company was. Like we just know that he inherited a whole bunch of money from his wife. So although he had money because of his wife, this is like the first time where he actually owns money. That 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 always seems weird for me to say it like that, but he actually has possession of it where he is hundred percent in control of it. It's not money that's belonging to him and someone else. Um, so I feel like that whole moment at Chevy's where like, even where Tora's response is like, yeah, you don't want to go after him, hon. I'm just like, so everyone knows what's going to happen with Mr. Lamb, right? Even Poppy, who's not from this world is like, this is dangerous. Yet Mr. Lamb's like, I'm going to go with these people that I just met. This seems like a good idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So now we get to see Poppy's, like you said, supercomputer brain, <laughs> And she's like, well, I looked it up online. There's a tiny restaurant nearby. It's very popular with the hotel guests. And it opens about 50 minutes from now. And then Jacob and Ardina are like, yeah, so what? And she's like, well, the nearest golf course in Narrow City is a four-minute drive away because Audrey, the secretary, just told her he's golfing, which means it's only been 40 minutes since he was out golfing. So, and then the, like, you know, Jacob's like, what are you talking about, Sherlock Holmes? And she's like, well, he probably didn't get dinner yet except for a quick bite. So he'll probably leave the hotel soon for dinner at that little restaurant which means I might be able to catch him in person when he leaves. And Jacob and Arjuna are suitably impressed. Yeah, even their faces are great because I want to point out, like, her face is pretty flat. Like, her like her emotion on her face is pretty flat from that point on where she's like, I looked it up online. She's not really seeming like she's overly happy. It's just, like, very analytical and very, um like, I don't know, curt. You know, like, she's just giving the information. There's nothing involved with it. Meanwhile, the entire time, the people who are receiving this information are like, uh, what? excuse me, what? And then they're just gobsmacked, right? Like, how did you even figure that all out? Um, and I think that was one of those moments where I'm like, yes, thank you. This girl's got it together. Just because she's had some cute little unicorn phone cases doesn't mean that she can't be smart, too, man. Mm-hmm. Yep, she is. 
and she's also driven. <laughs> they're they're uh, they're impressed. They're like, "Are you actually making these deductions in your head every time you stare into space?" And Dean's like, "No, I think when she stares into space, she actually is staring into space." And of course, during that moment, she is staring into space. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for me, that little um, bit is really important because whenever she calls out Torah, you know, at Alice's, where she's like, "I knew it was you. I saw your." your tattoos, I saw the ring and I saw the the bracelet you wear. Even he was like, you did all that in that brief little time while I had your face covered um, mm-hmm. after you fell out of the tree. Uh, I think it's one of those things where she has situational awareness and a lot of people have been discrediting her as being like an easy mark, an easy target um, because she seems to be so woefully ignorant. And the irony is she's been like consuming, she's a synthesizer. She processes everything um, and she makes the, she connects dots just fine. Um, and she's been doing a really good job doing that so far within the comic strip up until this point where she's making these connections and she's, um, I don't know, demonstrating her prowess, if you will. Mm-hmm. And um, then Jacob and Andrew, you know, like, you know, you got to leave now. And Jacob's hilarious. She's like, I don't want to be the guy. This is kind of borderline stalking pops. <laughs> and Bobby's like, I'm aware, but it's not stalking. I just happen to be in the area, which is very funny. And then here she brings up her dad and it's a sense of her, her background. Like you see this picture of her sitting in a tree with her dad. She has a butterfly net. There's a little cage that her dad has. Looks like a very, very sweet moment. And again, significant that she's in a tree. Um, it seems like that's something that she was comfortable with, right? When she climbed the cat, she's like, I've you know, been a hot minute since I climbed the tree. Anyway, so this is what her dad used to say sometimes in life. And then she turns back and gives us that glare, which is like a Torah glare. Torah did this before several times got to do what you got to do and everyone loves this Jacob and Regina are like really uh <laughs> shocked and uh what's the word frozen by that glare yeah it's very predatory um that's why I always laugh whenever Tora calls her a hamster because I'm like no she's she's something else she's not a hamster she just looks cute and cuddly but that's gonna be your own downfall there guy <laughs> right and you know Tora is drawn to her because of her softness, but he, I don't think he'd be able to actually be in a relationship with her or respect her if she didn't have that hardcore like he does, because that glare is like very, they both do the exact same kind of a glare of looking over their shoulder, the dark background. And, you know, they both have a, a strength to them. I think if anything, hers is perhaps going to be the one that is going to be the most dangerous. So he wears his danger out, right? We know later he talks about fear and intimidation. Those are the most familiar things for him. Whereas she, she gets you with kindness and that's how she sucks you in, right? Getting you to like miss, um, understand who she is as a person. And then she goes, she can go for the jugular and that'll be the one that probably hurts the most. That'll be the cut that hurts the worst is because it's the one that you never saw coming. Whereas him, you're going to expect him to hurt you. You're going to expect him um, to get you out in a way that's going to put you in danger, whereas she's going to get you in danger. And we know that later, like she's really good at putting people in dangerous situations and somehow or another, she's able to con them into doing it like pretty much no questions asked. And I think it's brilliant. It's almost like a, uh, a praying mantis, you know, like praying mantis, a female praying mantis, like after they mate, they rip the male's head off. Yeah and like eat it or something mm-hmm. and so i feel like that's poppy where she like lures you in you know like oh you know like i'm so cute and little and you know potential for mating and then she's really gonna rip your head off and eat you 
and Tora is more like a spider. Like everybody knows, like, ooh, it's a spider. Like I'm not gonna mess with it. And like it's pretty like upfront. Like no, it's gonna catch you in its web and eat you later. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you're more of like an unfortunate, like poor creature versus like a praying mantis. It's all, you know, it's like oh, you got got. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you fell for the the honey pot. Well, and I think, like, Jacob, the, his little remark there is supposed to be, like, a, I feel like it's talking to us as the audience. Like, do you ever look at her and feel like there's something else there that's supposed to be a reminder that we are supposed to be doing that? Although we have the privilege of being able to see her a little bit more and we can see the way that she has these kind of mean moments. Um, I feel like it's important, like, as a reminder that we're supposed to be seeing that she's not one-dimensional. She's definitely three-dimensional. Um, and don't put her into this little she's cute and quiet and you know just all kinds of like precious she's also vicious um you know Tora calls her like feisty and sadistic but I think the feisty is some like she is lethal I feel like that's that's her um that's her weapon of choice is she plays it off as if she's cute and that's what's going to be your downfall yeah and you know, and she's like, I can hear you loud and clear. And then, or Dean, this is another another point where Lily makes us pay attention to like a plot point. Or Dean's like, what are you doing with that bag? And Poppy's like, well, it's a complete mess after my research trip. I haven't had time to unpack. So I'm just hiding up and making sure my presentation is there. So she takes everything out of her bag and she puts it on the desk. And what do we see in that pile of bright, cheerful notebooks? We see bum, bum, bum. the notebook. The notebook. And then, of course, like Lily is manipulating us with the placement of the text where it says you can stop right there. That's what we're supposed to do as the reader. Like it's a it's a sub, like reader response. Right. She, she puts it in the top left hand corner. We've already figured out that the notebook is there. Your eyes naturally go up to the, the main text in the bubble. And Lily is telling us at that moment, stop. Mm-hmm. Right. So we're supposed to be paying attention to this panel. Even at the bottom right-hand corner, it says pause. So again, she's trying to reinforce, like, you need to consume this scene like your life depends on it. Because I have just given you a big Easter egg. This is an important plot point. And what is it? There it is. It's the notebook that everyone's been searching for. Or Tora has been trying to find up until this point. Yep. Yeah, Lily is a definitely a master artist. So the and it's women- surrounded by a cherry notebook. I just <laughs> like it's this horrible, violent, dirty underbelly of the world is trapped between cute, adorable cherry notebooks. Um, it's just it's perfect. It's not. It doesn't belong there. Like the reinforcement is like this is not supposed to be in this world, and yet, dun da da da, it is. And we're supposed to stop and see it. Her finger is even pointing at it. Like, it's just great. Yeah. And that, that's, um to me, like, the very, um, you know, I read novels more than I read graphic novels. I Honestly, this is, like, the first graphic novel I've, I've been reading since, like, I'm, I don't know, elementary school. But I noticed that every medium has its its different, like, strengths. And one of the things that you do with this visual medium is that you show details through, through panels. Right. So when there's a panel it's there for a reason like Lily's spending time and effort to draw everything so if it's there it's there on purpose (laughs) 
Well, yeah, because it's one of those where, like, with this particular medium, as with anything that's, you know, going to deal with communicating a message to an audience, you have to be cognizant of the medium itself, right? So, like, the reason why we have text speak and we use emoji or if I use GIFs or whatever is because it's it's appropriate for that medium. I'm not going to sit here and write a huge novel or a novella in a text message unless I'm really, really pissed off, right? And that person is going to tell because it's going to be, you know... Whereas with a visual medium, a lot of the visual cues, the visual rhetoric is a, is what we're actually supposed to be paying attention to with the, the written text being something that's supposed to be supplemental or complementary to the, the visual aspects or whatever. But I mean, it's traditionalist at this point. So the text that we're supposed to be paying attention to once we consume is to the top left corner. We're going to like scan it. We're going to see her hands on it. We're going to pay attention to the colors. We're going to pay attention to this. And then you've got her finger placement right there. Her index pointer finger is telling you pause. So there's two moments where it says stop and pause. Mm -hmm. So if the audience isn't picking up like they should have, like this is going to be something that everyone is going to fight about from this point forward in all of the fan groups. Because now it's like, we know where the notebook is and we're all going to go back to the scene and say, wait, is it on our desk? Is it in our laundry basket? Where is this notebook? And we can all go right here and be like, this is the last time that we saw it. (laughs) <laughs> yep now <laughs> Erdine is being the super nice supportive friend that she is and she says I have the perfect work clothes for you you know probably mentioned earlier that she didn't have money to buy work clothes and that's why she met Mr. Lamb in like clothes that made him think he, she was a teenager but Erdine you know shows her the bags that she walks in with she's she went through her closet she found stuff to fit her and Poppy is so you know she blushes she has flowers around her face she's so pleased and you know she um gives her this hug She's like, you're my fairy godmother. And Diego's like, okay, that's my cue to stage left. I say, bye, ladies. I'm going home now. Which, again, shows, like, he feels a little out of place with this, like, girl connection. And and then, like, what you were referencing before, Dean's like, I just need you to um, help me out with some work next Friday. You'll be home, won't you? And she's like, yeah. yeah so there's a reinforcement of how Poppy is a homebody and she never goes anywhere. <laughs> Both of her colleagues know it. She's just... Fridays are open for Poppy. Poor thing. <laughs> yep. And and then she's like, what you said before, everything comes with a price. And, you know, she's like, what happened to my sweet little Poppy? Right? Because they also think of Poppy as this sweet hamster, you know, the sweetie cot pie. And you know, when did you become jaded? She's like, I've been taking lessons. <laughs> I wonder if she's referring to Tuma or if she's just referring to her coworkers or just general. I'm wondering if she's just started to put it all together and be like, it seems like everyone in my life, it's always a quid pro quo. It's always like a give and take Um, because it seems like at least in this scene, we've been seeing it a lot, right? Like we've seen it with Jacob. We've seen it now with Ardeen and we know that it happened with Tora too. So it just kind of seems like she's just now stopped ignoring the fact that everyone has some sort of expectation that I'll help, but you got to help me out at the same time. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's, I don't feel like it's jaded anymore. Like I disagree with Dean there. I don't feel that she's being jaded. I think it's more like she's just, she's just accepted this as the reality. Right. And then Erdine is, you know, being nice and she really wants to go out all the way. And she's like, I'll do your hair and makeup and we'll get you properly dressed. It'll make a difference. And it looks like they're like going into the bathroom. And then the next part, this is so clever of Poppy. You know, this is just really cool. So somebody, we don't know who it's going to Poppy, calls, um, you see this waiter, sorry, this maitre d'eau. I don't know how to pronounce it. I think it's how you pronounce it. At the Sancy restaurant. He's like, good evening, the parsley place. How can I help you? 
And she says, I'd like to make a reservation for dinner under the name Audrey Claron, please. And he's like, Audrey Claron, <clears throat> can I confirm your phone number? Because we already have a reservation with Audrey Claron. Now, Audrey Claron is, I think, um, Mr. Lamb's wife, right? Secretary. His secretary. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry meant that. <laughs> you're good, you're good. Yeah, and um, she's like, we don't accept multiple reservations. And he's like, she's, and Poppy's like, oh, what a coincidence. I never met anybody. Maybe we're distant relatives. Maybe, you know, maybe I got the wrong restaurant. Maybe this is the coriander. Oh, no, this is the parsley. It's like, oh, thank you so much. Sorry, I got mixed up. Yeah. And we see, now we see a panel. It was actually Poppy talking all along. Poppy looking sophisticated and dressed up with lipstick and makeup and hair, you know, this jewelry. And she called because she wanted to make sure that, um, Mr. Lamb was actually had a reservation at that restaurant. Very clever, Poppy. Very clever. Well, and the way that she interacts with the maitre d' there is very um, rhetorically efficient, right? So first she starts off sounding professional, and then she says, oh, what a weird coincidence. I didn't realize that there could be multiple people with my name. What a fun time. We must be relatives. So she's kind of playing it off as if, um, I don't want to say airhead, but she's playing it off as, like, stupid. Um, because that always works. People are more likely, especially in service positions, if you play it dumb, people are more likely to go out that way and help you, right? Which is why she, like, it was totally buttering the bread, so that way he'd tell her more. You know, mm-hmm. no, no, no. This isn't the coriander, this is the parsley. And then they, they have this little fun little moment where she's like, oh, I, you, how how silly i'm mixing up these two spices ironically <laughs> enough like how many different businesses in naren city are named after herbs right they're herbs that they right? do like life. they're always next to each other in the group yeah. and then people do i use them in, a little bit interchangeably honestly <laughs> but anyway yeah but it's funny to me because it's like don't worry about it so even though she made the mistake and she's sounding silly he's like don't worry about it you're not the first person so it's playing in exactly with what you said um mindy where if you don't know what you're looking for for herbs like yeah they look similar right (laughs) and then she was like i'm sure parsley is the far superior choice why would a customer say that you know what I mean? Like, if you made a mistake, like, the first thing that you would do is, well, me anyway, is try and hurry up and get off the phone. You know, like, I have grossly made a mistake. Please excuse me. And, you know, but no, she's, I, I, it's it's interesting to me to see this part of her where she's playing this role. Um, because it definitely, like, when have you ever heard Poppy say it's a far superior choice? That doesn't seem like that's within her wheelhouse. And it's funny because you're seeing her in the sophisticated outfit that seems like out of her previous character. You know, right. I barely recognize her when I first saw her. I'm sorry, go ahead, Mindy. Yeah, I barely recognize her when I first saw her. Her hair is straight and she's wearing this, you know, black skirt and white shirt. I really did not recognize her. Yeah, and then she she apologizes. She's like, I'm sorry for taking up your time. Have a lovely evening. And this, like, so it's definitely, um, you never want to burn bridges, right? So even though she made a mistake, she's obviously manipulating this dude. She's trying to make it to where um, now that he knows her name, allegedly, that she doesn't create a situation that burns the bridge for the real Audrey, which was really clever. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I almost feel like this dialogue Because you know how, like, once we're all on episode, like, 40 now, so when we're looking back at these past episodes, we can, like, see these neon lights that Lily has left for us. Um, Like, like the conversation with about QB and Yoko, we're like, okay, well, that was a major, like, neon sign of a hint. Well, now I I almost feel like this is something because, again, like you said, Lily never spends her time drawing something for no reason. 
so here we're seeing like like seven or eight bubbles just with this conversation like you know what I mean? Like, why does is Lily spending all this time to say, I would highly recommend you pay us a visit someday. We take great pride in our menu and our service and, and is bolded. And there's even like a white panel where there's not even an image and it's still the same dialogue. So it almost seems like that's another like setup for something. If she's <laughs> putting that much emphasis on this dialogue. So I can see it. Yeah, it sounds like you're thinking that maybe they'll return to that restaurant. Yes, or something. Um, and maybe, you know, you're just, it's it's more like what you said, where she's just trying to, like, not make, you know, Secretary Audrey look weird or something. But, you know, it, but I mean, obviously, like, this, the man is thinking that this is, like, another Audrey. So I don't think that he would ever be, like, you know. Blame the first Thank you. Yeah. Right. I, well, I think also it gives us an indication. For me, this little bit, what you're talking about, Brianna, feels like it's foreshadowing with what we're going to see in the next two episodes. So, although she is um, socially awkward herself, right, um, which she tells us a little bit later that she has issues, um, she just tries, you know, and of course, Tora's like, how do you do that? Um, I think here we can see that she can turn it on and off. So she's situationally aware um, and she's rhetorically efficient um, because I feel like this side of her and this professional garb and this professional demeanor in the way that she's using her words very carefully and selectively and definitely putting on her customer service voice. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That we maybe are going to be more likely to see why she's able to do what she's able to do with um, the cab driver and people later you know what I mean because she's really she's wearing this hat and she's going like full force um to make it work for her um which is interesting because it it shows that she um is strategic and also um capable as far as like tactics are concerned yes yeah I think I think that's true that it's a very like big thing that Lily's telling us about her um, and you see here, it's interesting. You see that the difference that business clues make for her because the next panel is of these two guys looking at her. You know, she's clearly catching their eye because of her appearance. And Poppy's like looking a little bit uncomfortable with it. But then it's not just guys, you know, it's like the next panel is a guy and a girl looking at her. So she realizes, you know, maybe your team is right. I feel more confident looking like this. Amazing what nice clothes and makeup she did for you. And then this is like a cute line. She's like, I should take a selfie and send it to my friends at Moonbright when I get home. You know, this is such a difficult thing, Larry. Like, you're proud of yourself. You're proud of, you know, how you look. And you're like, oh, this looks so cool. And then you're like, let me share it with my friends. At, her, at Moonbright, right? Her, like, to show them, oh, look how I'm making it in the city. I'm sophisticated. I've I've gained the approval of the city people. This is a significant moment for her. And it's, it's, it's definitely just... supposed to mirror, I think, with the, the reception outside of the, the bistro. Yeah. Where she was in her leggings. Like, I think that's the parallel there um for me it was disconcerting seeing the way that the people were staring because that one guy in the like the bluish looking hoodie or whatever like in the first panel of voyeurs um the it looks like he has the blushing mark on his face like you know like he's on like i guess it's supposed to indicate like some sort of attraction you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i'm just thinking of like whenever torah and miscellaneous people where they get the blush right there in the corner when they're about to deal with something that makes them a little uncomfortable so i was just trying to figure out the way particularly the way that she cuts her eyes 
and like acknowledges it like she's definitely not comfortable but then it's like why is she getting leered you know what i mean like what is the premise and then finally you see like oh no it's just this is the way that she is um people are taking notice of her not for um her physical appearance but that she has a presence Mm -hmm. right that she's 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 um emitting this thing that's making people stop and take notice that this is obviously a woman um in some sort of power situation it feels like a very power outfit too and then look at her cute little face she goes back to being the the poppy that we love and adore where she's just adorable right and she's adorable because she's looking at this message from torah and she's excited by it torah sent to her he's and you know again he does i'm surprised by the way that she put torah's name in without capitalizing it what do you <laughs> you know she didn't, it doesn't seem like her but anyway um because torah says text without capitalization or punctuation but i'm surprised that she didn't capitalize it anywho um so she you know torah sent her a text this was taken blank minutes ago not quite sure and you know you see somebody with um a golf bag i don't know is that what it's called satchel bag i think so yeah golf bag yeah okay so, yeah i own golf so i don't know what it's called and then it looks like um the secretary audrey is there as well and you know she's talking back and she's like you know is this did he spend the last two days tracking that was still mine for me and she has a blush and a dump you know where she's like wow like is he that concerned for me like does he she feels it in an emotional level she feels like is he is he doing it because he likes me you know even if she's not consciously thinking that far ahead i think she feels that way i think she has to talk herself out of like like thinking that somebody would do something for that reason you know like oh like that's you know he he's just keeping up his end of the bargain so like she she's sitting there like putting an immediate wall up like Nobody would do something for me because they like me. He's just doing it because of this quid pro quo. Yeah. And that definitely feels like a, like a protective mechanism. You know what I mean? Like, um, like she's getting her, I made a joke once in the fast passer that the two of them are like the Kool-Aid man, right? They're both busting through each other's walls. You know what I mean? Because like, that's what they're both doing a really good job of is building these walls to protect whatever it is within themselves that they don't want the world to see. Um, and I feel like that's another way in which we're getting that indication that she um, she's doing this as a self-protective measure. She doesn't want to acknowledge, it's like the elephant in the room. She doesn't want to talk about him and his nefarious um, colleagues and coworkers, right? She doesn't want to have that conversation with him. She doesn't want to really press him on whether he is a quote lethal weapon. You know, she just says it's a joke and that he should do better. Um, it's not funny. And I think this is another one of those. It's like, why is he doing this? Why would this person ever do something this nice for me? It's obviously because we had some sort of like bargain scenario. It's not because he actually genuinely cares. Um, because I think she doesn't want to have to deal with the reality of, um, putting her feelings out there and then being hurt. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think that's perfect. Now, um, now we actually do get to see the whole text that he sent that Taurus said this was taken a few minutes ago, 50th, uh, 55th Green Hill Boulevard, the Regal Homes Hotel. And then he right away tells her about the dinner. This Saturday, 6 p.m., send me your home address. I'll find my way there. And then he sees this text that's cut off. And Poppy's like, wait, there's one more text. The reception in the office must have been too crappy. And she sees the text says, don't go alone. <laughs> and Whoops, of course, but it took him 15 minutes. <laughs> 
Like, it's not her fault. Like, this was the moment for me where I was like, well, he can't get mad at her. It took him 15 minutes to say that. Like, that's really bad. That's bad on him. I'm not sure. I think I think that the reception, I think he might have sent it right away, but it didn't go through until until she gets out of the building. We don't know. Like, she could have been in the bathroom, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, she could have been getting changed. Things could have happened. It's just one of those where it's like, why would you put don't go alone after I'll find my way to your house? Hmm. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. I don't think he sent it 15 minutes after. I think he sent it right then and there, and it just didn't go through until later. That seems weird, because the way that text messaging normally works is it'll go in a queue, right? But then wh- why did the 6 p.m. Saturday one go through before the don't go alone? Maybe um, because she was sitting right by a window when she got the initial text. So maybe he did, like, at 520 say, you know, here's where he is. You know, I'll meet you at your house. And then as she's stepping into the bathroom with her Dean, where the, the signal might not have been as good, he's like, I better tell her, don't go alone. So maybe it was like a two, three minute difference. But because See, she that's had... Where... Go ahead. I'm sorry, Brianna. Oh, but maybe it had been like two, three minutes where he thought he was done, but he's like, I know telling her this information, she's going to go by herself, even though she shouldn't. So I'm now, you know, I am going to go ahead and reinforce that I don't want her to. So, like, I don't think it was 15 minutes, but it might have been, like, one or two minutes. Or the fact that she immediately, when she got that text, she hopped up and was showing it to them. And then she walks into the bathroom. And I could see where stepping away from the window of an office building into a bathroom where it's probably, like, thicker walls or maybe even, like, concrete walls, that's where she lost the signal. And Mm -hmm. so it might not have been a significant difference in time. Just like the things that she's doing, you know, because things kind of progress really quickly. That's exactly where I'm at, where it's like, okay, he sends the text. Then he says, hey, um, I'll see you Saturday. And then like within like a minute or two, the reason like I'm ignoring the time, I was just pointing out that it came 15 minutes later. Right. Mm -hmm. But then it like because he's already figured out who she is as a person. Right. Then he's like, uh, I better tell her not to go alone, right? But yeah. because life happens and we all make these, like, you know, things that can negatively affect, what I'm getting at is, like, it was an afterthought for him to tell her not to go alone, right? Which becomes a fight for them later, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But at the, the irony is it's not her fault. It, I'm sure if it was important at the time, he probably would have said it before the dinner, you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's like, okay, here it is. Here you go. I'll be at your house Saturday. And then within a couple minutes, it's like, that crazy hamster is going to go batshit crazy. I better tell her not to go alone, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the fact that he had the delay on his end that they're going to fight, right? Because she, like, if I'm sure if that were moved further up, she would have made different plans, especially that particular individual trying to give her safety tips. You know what I mean? Yeah. The damage is already done. And that that's what makes me giggle every time that they get into their little fight later, where I'm just like, you can't blame this on her. Like, if it were important to you, you would have said it in the picture. You know what I mean? And that's why yeah. his whole reaction later is so great. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> we're, I love how we're, like, talking for 10 minutes about the placement of a text message. <laughs> 
Well, because I mean, like, so the way that it was like, so she talked about the shoddy reception, right? So the way that the text messaging would have happened, like for most normal stuff is if it had to sit in a queue, then it wouldn't be it it would go for whichever one went first. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So the fact that the 6pm like dinner date, you know, confirmation, whatever came first, that's why I'm just sitting here thinking like, okay, then it was an afterthought with don't go alone. And the fact that he makes that all by itself. Like that, that to me is kind of indicating like he sat and thought for a minute and realized he's going to do something stupid. I have to tell. Right. Dang, and that's the last thing I'm going to say, because just before this, I think she says something to the effect of um, uh, he's so short with his words. He's very yeah. careful with his words. Did she say something like that? Or did I imagine? He sure is straight with his words, huh? And the irony is, well, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> and I just appreciate mm-hmm. it because it makes me giggle. Don't go alone. <laughs> you probably yeah, should have Yeah, so, so we first. see Poppy, like, she thinks about it for a second while more people are staring at her. And then she basically is like, well, disregards it, you know, because she catches sight of Mr. Lamb coming out of the hotel with Shark and an unknown person. And Shark is, you know, greeting away. He looks like he has devious plans on his mind. And he says, you know, so again, uh, Mr. Lamb is bragging as usual. He's like, well, I said to him, ciao, we want to reel in this monster. And he's like, oh, come on, come to my car. And then Mr. Lamb is a little bit perturbed of being cut off, right? But he's not enough to, so he senses something's off, but not enough to, to not go in the car with him. So he doesn't have a lot of self-preservation instincts. He's like, oh, I wasn't done with my story yet, but thank you. Like, he just doesn't get how to read people. And meanwhile, Shark is looking at the person behind him, and he's making this symbol on his throat like he's going to cut his throat. Right? And he's he's grinning so happily (laughs) with this, like, nefarious grin. And Mr. Lamb's like, just, oh, this is a very expensive car. You have great taste, my friend. Just, like, impressed by money, right? Which is, does show us a little bit about his, his character, he's he's just willing to trust somebody because they have good external appearances you know they're young men they're smartly dressed they have money but that doesn't mean anything about who they are inside but mr lamb is willing to to go with them because of that and i think that you know he does the fact that he talks about his money all the time he at this point for sure at least does place too heavy an emphasis on the the external appearances right he judges poppy by her clothes and he judges you know them by their appearance and their car so you know, this is kind of showing us uh, the negative side of, or the, the fallible, the weak side of Mr. Lamb. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I think that, like, so he gets on the poppy about her appearances. He gets on the poppy about her adherence to the social expectations, right, mm-hmm. about her being late when she wasn't really late. You know, but she didn't come the 15 minutes early or whatever. Um, And the irony is the people who are adhering to all that and the people who are like the most physically um, pleasing as far as their outward appearance are the ones who are posing him the most harm. I feel like that's also supposed to be like a reinforcement to us as the audience is like, don't judge the outward stuff. You need to be judging people based on their actions, not on the what they're they're portraying to the world. You know what I mean? Because I feel like that's going to connect heavily with um, definitely Poppy and Tora. Like, that ends up being, like, Poppy's whole stance is she doesn't judge Torah um, necessarily on the way that he is trying to push himself on mm-hmm. her. Like, she's focusing more on his actions, mm-hmm. as we saw with and the Mr. fight. Mr. Lamb does also um, eventually, like, change. We'll see that in 
a little bit later where he, he has done in some Jewish, right? So in Judaism, this is called tshuva, which is repentance, right? When you, you know, you did something bad and then you, you realize what you did wrong and then you change. So Mr. Lamb does change later. We'll see that in terms of judging people by their appearance. Yeah. Yeah. I think too, that's a, like a really big point is like, it goes back to that thing that I was saying about old versus new money. Like the, he didn't even realize how much he was doing in a way that was not only hurting himself, but also potentially hurting other people. Um, and the fact that he was willing to change and the fact that it's an older guy who Poppy said looks like a grandfather, um, I think is very telling too, mm-hmm. that, you know, kind of goes with a, an old dog can learn new tricks sort of thing. Um, it, that it, That's the whole point of this experience of life is that you don't want to be stagnant and you don't want to be stuck. Right. Whenever these things happen, like you have to figure a way to um, keep pushing forward, but like not keep to the same um, cycle mm. that you've been well, in. and I wonder if it means you know something I mean? the he inherited that money from his his late wife um and so I'm uh, you know I'm I'm wondering what their situation was like before because you know obviously if she had the money you know what I mean they might have lived a little bit differently and then now not only has he come into kind of a windfall but he's lost his wife at the same time and so there's probably like maybe some emotional stuff like the money and his emotions are tied together because he obviously loved his wife quite a bit. Um, and it pro- he probably he most likely did not marry her for money. Um, so he lost his wife and he's come into this money and he's trying to kind of like navigate the business world without her. And so when he's sitting here bragging, like normally a man of this age and a man of this, um, like like wealth his wife would be like i i could just imagine if she was still alive she would be sitting next to him like honey like shut up you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. rude so I, I wonder how much that has to do with it yeah you yeah he doesn't have someone yeah. to help him float through these waters he's just kind of doing it blindly without paddles yes. and, and she and the wife might have grown up with the money so she would know like no you did not get into a car with two strange men who know that you have money <laughs> do you want to get murdered like yes because that's how you get murdered yep <laughs> now poppy you know is she's very determined as soon as she sees mr lamb go into the car she you know this is panel of her focused face and she immediately hails a cab and hops into the cab and the cab is trailing the um, shark and the person and Mr. Liam. And that's how it ends. <laughs> this was the episode <laughs> where I fast passed. I had been holding out for a long time. Um, but then once I saw what was happening and Poppy's arm and then the, the taxi chasing after Mr. Lamb, <laughs> I was like, I'm fast passing. I regret nothing. And I didn't, I didn't, I didn't look back. <laughs> it was because of that where I'm like, no, you can't do that to me because um, where she's hidden by the car just before that. So we see Mr. Lamb get mm-hmm. into the car and then you see the car pull out or whatever, you know, like you can't see her. Right. And then all of a sudden the next panel is her standing there. And like, if that's not us, I don't know what it is. Like we are literally poppy in that moment where we're like, what is happening? 
what is going on? And then it's like, she's hailing a cab, like she's going to go chase down to find it. And I was like, I am also going to get in a metaphorical cab. I'm going to chase down this rabbit because you can't leave me like this. This is horrible. I'm pretty sure I fast passed the first time as soon as I started reading this cartoon. I think I could trace it back kind of like through messages, but um, yeah, it was, if not the first time I started reading it, it was definitely very shortly after. Yeah, I think, see, I came late. Um, I think it was, well, because pandemic mm-hmm. or whatever, I was using this as my coping mechanism um, because I was on tech all the time. So I figured I'd use tech for my own purposes, you know, now that I'm having to do virtual learning back in, I think, end of March, early April. So I think once it got to this episode, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I must know. Um, the rest of them, I was perfectly okay with the tempo, but this one just, I can still remember this one. I was like, no, you can't leave me like that. Woke my husband up at like <laughs> two in the morning. It was horrible. Mm-hmm. Oh, me, I totally want to make, I have sure. to make a, an episode for on the podcast of spouses of MPL or partners of MPL because they, their voices need to be heard. <laughs> My husband just, like, he just appreciates, like, I don't fangirl with him or whatever because he doesn't get it, Um, but because of the way that I have my cloud photo stuff um, set up, my husband is constantly seeing the NSFW stuff that I get as a patron, Um, and he opens it, you know, not thinking because it'll say, Sarah added something to the, the cloud or whatever, um, I think it's through my Amazon, like, so the family vault, and he clicks on it, and he's like, honey, I'm at work, I can't be looking at porn. And I was like, stop <laughs> clicking on my stuff. You know, my poor husband, he, <laughs> my husband is a nursing student. And uh, so he, he's a lot of times he's still in bed when I'm getting up and getting ready for work. And so I will listen to this podcast while I'm getting ready. And so <laughs> oh, then like, ha- have you guys seen that meme of the guy from it's always sunny where he's like looking at the bulletin board with the string and he's got that like crazy eyes. so i feel like that's that must be what i look like because like you like my my makeup table is like in the corner of our bedroom right across from the front of our bed so he just sees me over here like but like like i was really big on the the motion sensor thing and i was like but but it's not a motion sensor like you said that like and and i'm like i'm sure that's exactly what i look like (laughs) and my husband my husband's just laying there like half asleep (laughs) like and he and his his only thing is like, how much money are you spending on Patreon to look at porn? And I was like, shut <laughs> up. That's not the point. This is tasteful, <laughs> sir. It is not porn. And it, my money is my money. He's like, do what he's like I'm sure you can find dirty hentai for free somewhere. And I was like, but it's not as good quality content. They, it has to be the context. <laughs> And I'm emotionally invested in these characters. It makes a difference. I am living this relationship. Let me have it. I am getting the butterflies. I am feeling the tingles. I am feeling all of the things. So My my husband requests uh, that we look at this together whenever he wants something. He's like, can we do it, please? Can we look at it at at, at Midnight Popular and not say for work? (laughs) and you're like sure um anyway i've got to wrap this up because we have another one in 10 minutes and i honestly have to switch the laundry from the washer to the dryer in between so any final thoughts on this episode oh goodness 
It's one of my favorites. A lot of stuff happens in it too that we end up seeing, yeah. you know, come to fruition it's got a lot later. Of the neon it's a really good episode. In it. Mm, oh yes. And by the way, um, so I was reading the Patreon comments and Lily may threw in a, a hint there. I'm not gonna say what it is because you have to be on Patreon to see it, but Lily does throw in that there is some that there is a plot point that we didn't discuss right now, but relating to her outfit. So you should get on Patreon and then you'll be able to find out. If you go to <clears throat> the episode twenty one discussion, you will see. Let's go look at that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I'm wondering if I did look at it. I think I may have. Um, but yeah, that outfit yeah. choice. Yeah, well, yes. I'll let you girls read it and then you could message me if you if you figure out what it is. <laughs> okay. Good. Thank, okay. You. Thank you. So so much, Brianna and Sarah. It was awesome as usual. Thanks a ton. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Mm-hmm.